Hello and welcome to the Fat Tail Thoughts podcast, where every week Jared and I talk to you about the workings of finance, fintech, crypto and markets. Hey Jared, welcome to the show. Hey Stephen, how are you? Yeah, good man, good. Episode 30, we missed last week. We both had a crazy Memorial Day weekend, so we apologise listeners and viewers, we were... We just gave up and didn't do anything last week, so there's, I, I could make up fancy excuses. Oh, come on. I, I did lots. I got some hot dogs in. I got some hamburgers in. We got the whole family together. It was a grand old time. Yeah, yeah. I had a great weekend. I'm not knocking that. I just didn't want to put my head in the mind of doing a newsletter. <laughs> so so uh, we took a pass. I think after 30 episodes, we're, we, took a, we took a small sabbatical for one week. So hopefully you're back with us. This week, we're talking baby formula. And in the switch up, I wrote the newsletter this week, so Jared's going to quiz me. Apparently, I'm now a world expert on baby formula. There you go. Well, it's, I mean, it's the same thing I do, which is it, it, you go deep dive, you keep pulling on that thread, and it gets more. I mean, it's fascinating. And this is an awesome one because I think, Stephen, what you're going to dive into, we, we have both. We've got a big problem, and we've got some legislative stuff. It's not – there's no simple kind of one-hit answer, point your finger, somebody screwed up. Why don't you hit on a little bit, like, what is the lay of the land here? How did we end up in a situation – I'm sure we've all seen the headlines. We've got a shortage, but it sounds like this was probably months, years in the making, and it's all kind of just come to a head. Yeah, I mean it- – as I say, not vote. As I said in the newsletter, not voting in the U.S. gives you a nice armchair seat to watch the craziness. So this issue's obviously been highly politicised. Both parties have kind of decided to come at it from various angles. But what interested me was a how we got here, because this was a uniquely U.S. problem. The COVID has stressed supply chains across the world. You know, there's been chip shortages globally. You know, stuff's been stuck in ports around the world. There's been other supply chain issues caused by the conflict in Ukraine. You know, so I don't think supply chain shortages are unusual in our macro um, environment. But supply chain shortages in baby formula is uniquely a U.S. problem. So that was kind of the frame that I started from just to sort of really pull apart why we've got where we've got. And I think there's been a confluence of events that have happened slowly. So some legislation, well-intentioned, coming from the right place, should underprivileged families be given access to baby formula? Let me be really explicit and say, absolutely, they should. Yeah. Should we be looking to help those families? Nothing more important than making sure children have a good start. I think what was also interesting as I pulled on the thread, the CDC do some good analysis of breastfeeding trends. And I think one of the threads that was kind of interesting for me to pull on was the amount of women that are actually breastfeeding is increasing. So you would think that would be reducing the need for formula. Um, And that's been a directional trend over the last sort of 11 or 12 years. But what we've seen here and, and why two men are talking about baby formula on a podcast that talks about markets, it's another one of our small markets threads. What we're seeing here is government involving themselves in a market for all the right reasons and for maybe heavy-handedness on execution, they've caused problems. 
and that's well, well intentioned mistakes. Yeah, I mean, so what happens is three companies. Let's, let's, let's back up even further, like because I, I, it, it's helpful. Like I, I don't have kids yet, so I, I know the term baby formula. But to be honest, I don't really know why. I don't know why it exists. I don't know who uses it. I don't know like the trade off between breastfeeding and baby. Like this is a complete mystery to me. You will I'm have fun with this one. Kids, but I, I don't know the basics of what we're talking about. It'd be helpful to look, look, just help me level up. Like what is it? Who consumes? Well, I assume babies. But who, so this <laughs> who, is who consumes it. So so having had four kids, this will be part of your future. At some point, um, right. you will be feeding a baby at three o'clock in the morning, being very grateful that your wife doesn't have to breastfeed so you can get some brownie <laughs> points. But no, I mean, all joking aside, this is a replacement for breast milk. Um, what was interesting in the statistics when I looked, the CDC tracks how many babies have baby formula as some part of the mix, and that's up in the mid-80s. Um, about, I think it was in the mid 30s to 40% of babies uniquely have baby formula. Okay. Um, my four children did, my wife couldn't breastfeed. So literally after a couple of days, they're straight on to, to uh, baby formula. So, so this is, I mean, that, that that's what, what you're hitting on is really important there. I, again, I, this is all new to me. You're saying that like, you've got babies who are I mean, exclusively feeding on formula. So if we have a shortage and they can't get access, like that, that, that just means there's, there's no, no alternative. Food. And there's no alternative. You know, it's not, oh, we'll just give them normal milk or, oh, we'll give them, you know. We're making steak tonight. They can have yeah, yeah. this is typically babies. I mean, opinions vary, but babies start to move on to some type of solid foods, um, you know, six, nine, 12 months in. So for the first up big to chunk of time. 12 months. You're stuck here. There is nowhere to go. So I can, I can fully understand why this became a lightning rod of an issue. If you're a mother, you've got a young baby, they cry if they don't get fed. I mean, it, you know, and you are going through a lot of this stuff on a daily basis, and it ain't cheap to start off with. And, so. Yeah, nine, nine months. You're, you're not stocking. I, may, maybe if you have a big enough suburbs house, you, you could stock nine months if you get your hands on. But certainly, like, my New York apartment, you're not stocking nine months of that. I mean, this is a military operation. You know, it's sterilizing bottles. It's creating formula to exact mixtures. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a military operation at the best of times when you've got supply when the supply is constrained. And there's some good data that shows the amount of constraint and the amount of out of stock. And this stuff just went from, you know, two to 8% out of stock, which is a truck didn't turn up that day levels. It didn't explain that, but you know, trucks get diverted, stuff happens. Yeah, some guy crashes a truck on the freeway. It's got baby formula in it. Some store doesn't have it in stock. Two to 8% is kind of normal outage. 40 to 50 percent of stock, um, out of stock rating come the end of oh May. my lord, you know. So, if you and I assume that's not that's probably not evenly distributed, meaning there are places that just for miles around just nothing. Yeah, I didn't put it in the letter, but the state by state fluctuations. So, some of the states were up at sort of 54 55 percent out of stock, some of them in the high 40s. So, I mean, it wasn't massively skewed, but it was regionally. Um, a difference. So you, you talked, you just hit on briefly, like government legislation, like how are people getting access? I assume given how, given that this is a necessity, 
I assume there are government programs set up to help people to fund it. And, and my guess is you're, you're I, I would assume where we're going with this is the very people that are being that need the help the most that there's a government program being set up for are the ones in the most trouble right now. That's got intuition. Here. Yeah. So what we've seen is there's a, and I can't remember the name of it now. I should have the letter in front of me, but WIC is, is the program. And this was invented. It's, in it's women, infant, children, correct? Uh, you can pull it up while I talk. I'll pull it up while you're chatting. Yeah. We'll get smarter here by actually having the letter up that we're talking about people, but bear with us. So this program's invented in the 19, late 1970s, re-legislated and added to again, end of the end of the eighties. Fantastic program, as I say, set up with all the best intentions, <clears throat> women who don't have access to, um, these types of products and it's wider than just baby formula it's also healthcare. it's there's there's various elements to the legislation all of which as i say are well-intentioned designed to put this essential into the hands of women who and 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 men who need this in order to breastfeed uh who can't breastfeed what the challenge is and this will lead us on to the second part of the conversation what it's lent led to is monopolies being created in certain markets. What happens is this gets regulated at a state level. The state puts an auction out. Somebody gets awarded the WIC program and they've now got a lock on that state. So it's sole, so at the state level, you're saying sole source. It's sole source. So what this means is you've created an artificial friction in the market You've reduced competition because about 50% of the formula goes through this program in a state. You start to see real levers pulled in a market that creates some problems. And what you've okay. ended up with as you've wound forward from the late, from the eighties is concentration. There's literally three people, three, three companies in the U S that make baby formula. They've obviously consolidated their plants because they're in a small market um, with a number of competitors. What you do in those markets over time is drive efficiencies, drive down costs, because it's a three-person market. Those dynamics happen in every three-person market. And what we've had is a concentration down to a smaller and smaller number of manufacturing facilities. One of those manufacturing facilities, Abbott, went offline because four cases in infants was found. This whole problem relates back to four infants. Obviously, we don't want any issues in this supply chain yeah. vital, but we created this problem for millions of families across America because four cases that Abbott disputes, by the way, were caused, they closed the plant, arguably the right thing to do if there's any um, issues here. But then because we've got such a concentrated supply chain, we've got an issue. You'd think, oh, okay, if this is a US supply chain issue, let's just import it from abroad. Well, then there's tariffs put on baby formula of about 17 to 18%. Oh, God. So, you, so, so we've got a market like where only US manufacturers can compete and only US manufacturers have been concentrated to three suppliers. So, so let me let me just back up here because it's it's, I mean, that is 
That is wild. So we've got a we've got legislation that's passed in 1974. I, I pulled up the name while we were chatting. Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women's in- Infants and Children. Catchy so, title. Catchy exactly. title. Exactly. No, no, no surprise. It's called WIC. Yeah. Um, so it passed in 1974, and then I believe we have an update. It's like the 89 Congress or the 90 Congress that that again we we update this type of legislation all the time, and it's like okay, states, you're going to sole source now. And, and I think that's more... where it went wrong, if from what I could tell. There was a great letter and a, a great research that I quoted in the letter talking about what the structural issues. I've summarized about a paragraph of in the letter. I read all of it, obviously, to, to write the letter. It's a really good report. That's from 2009. So we're talking, you know. Yeah, we've, we've had finger on the pulse of this for a we've while. We've known this concentration in this market the scholarly research that says this is a problem, we were on this trajectory. All it took was one plant to go offline, and we've created a national problem. Well, it's it's an interesting one, because if you look at the concentration in the U.S. versus global, when you say it's a specific U.S. problem, I mean, let's start with the basics. We don't have this type of manufacturing concentration in any other major country. Most of them have 20, 30, et cetera which, by the way, was the state of the U.S. prior to this legislation. The sole source contract, as you as you drove, it's going to be a low-cost provider. That low-cost provider means that you're going to get massive economies of scale. So you just get these massive acquisition plays. It's like I can lower costs by acquiring everybody else and dr- and just producing more. But that's once you get to capacity, I mean, the U.S. population is, is increasing by like one and a half percent every year. That's not like at some point there's the, the baby infant formula market is not growing um, by a population standpoint. If more people are breastfeeding, it may, in fact, even be shrinking. So at that point, the only way to drive down costs once the market is saturated is Either increase manufacturing efficiency, that's going to have, uh, that, that's going to have um, only marginal improvements over time, or basically do just-in-time manufacturing where you have no excess capacity because you're just that's quote-unquote cost you're cutting out of the system. But that means you've created a very fragile system. Yeah, and, and I mean, this stuff doesn't happen overnight. I don't know how many companies they were making baby formula before the legislation hit in the late, you know, the sec- the update to the legislation in the late 80s, you know. But there's no incentive for a scrap, you know, you and I decide we're going to transform the baby formula market and we we think we could bring something unique. So we get some funding, you know, as we've seen direct-to-consumer, you know, people have gone and taken on Gillette with, with a Dollar Shaving Club, you know. I'm not saying we, we you could disrupt this market, but there's enough capital been flowing around for the last 10 years for somebody to think, hey, you know, I'll go and do the chewy type direct-to-consumer model of baby formula. I'll go right down the supply chain and I'll make my own, and then I'll put a B2C consumer model on the top of it. Nobody has been able to do that and be the scrappy fourth player that disrupts a market. Because structurally, legislation has prevented them from doing that. And I think that's the key takeaway here. I I think also it sounds like the FDA has some, and and again, well-intentioned, but extraordinarily stringent requirements for what it means to offer baby formula into the market, which I assume is just like the pharma, like 
the pharmaceutical world. It's, I assume it would cost hundreds of millions of dollars just to get through the testing and the facilities and the proof and so on and so forth, just in order to get it into market, which means there's no quote unquote minimum viable product there. It's either a, a gigantic one or not. And that dramatically, ch- I mean, in order to justify a two, three, four hundred million dollar investment, you have to have a massive potential market to go after. And if you got three people that got a lock on 50, 60 percent of the sole source state spend, at best, you're going after the other 40 percent of the market. Like that's just that's going to be a struggle. Yeah, there's a lot of moats in this business created for those other three, both from the capital intensity required to get into it for the FDA approval to get your product into market. But then also, as you say, you're competing for half of the town. So, I mean, if you were looking and, at the and and of BC, you wouldn't, you wouldn't invest in Jared and Stevens kind of baby formula startup because the structural dynamics in the market just aren't there. And it's a total addressable market that's not growing and perhaps even shrinking. Yeah, with the breastfeeding percentage going up, only 4 or 5% over the last 10 years, but it, the trend lines aren't going in the right direction. Yeah, that's, that, that, that will more than offset the population growth. Yeah, yeah so, and so you've what? got a declining population as well. You know, all, these, all the dynamics that you'd look at from a, a product management perspective if you were a VC. Don't look good. So why aren't we why aren't we importing? I mean, let, let, we, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll cross off the startups. So like NHS in the UK has ridiculously high standards. Canada has ridiculously high standards. Japan does. I mean, there there are no shortage of markets that clearly have very healthy kids, high functioning healthcare systems, and also have infant formula markets. So why aren't we bringing those into the US to, to help alleviate some of the supply? Well, first piece is it's the FDA, and we all know about drug imports into the US. I mean, there's a lot of impact around the price of drugs in Canada versus the price of drugs in the US. You know, let's not open that can of worms, but that's a topic. So there's some structural barriers of trying to get these types of products. And then I don't know what the trade rules are. I didn't pull on that thread any further, but some of the um, legislators that I quoted in the letter were talking about, you know, there's 17.5% tariffs imposed on this stuff. I think that's probably to stop the Chinese flooding the market and to keep standards high. But again, well-intentioned regulatory sort of approach has led to, again, another, you know, SMA was a brand we used to use in the UK. That's not a brand that can find its way into the um, into the US. So, so you know, so is the Euro, is Procter and Gamble making? I don't know who makes SMA, but you know, there is going to be European suppliers. There's going to be somebody who makes this stuff in Australia. Somebody who makes this stuff in Japan. Somebody who makes this stuff in um, South Korea. You know, there's going to be companies around the world that make this stuff they have they're basically closed out from this market so you're talking about getting hit from all sides i mean let's let's just tally up where we're at we've got sole sourced contracts at the state level so where we get these this massive concentration in the u.s down to just three three or so uh, companies then we create high standards in a very small market relative to overall. So it's difficult to build a startup into that market. 
Then we put a combination of tariffs and, again, ridiculously high standards on imports so that we can't bring net new supply into the market. And what we're left with is a fragile system that it sounds like it's almost surprising it took this long to fall over. And then you layer on top of that stockpiling for COVID. That's a guy, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, um, so the supply, supply was trending badly anyway. And then you take one plant offline. Fragile supply chain, structurally bad market. So, I mean, as we move towards what, what should we do? Here? Yeah, like, I mean, how, how, I, and I'm interested because you've got you've got a near term problem to alleviate, but but that is let's call that the band aid approach. Like, clearly, we need supply into the market. But what you're talking about is structural problems with the market that need to be resolved to get this thing away from the the fragile situ uh, situation we're in into something that's more robust, can tolerate maybe not even just one uh, factory coming offline, but maybe an entire supplier just not showing up to work the next day. How do we? What, what do we do? And then what do we to, to solve the immediate? And then what do we do big picture to go? Well, forward? I mean, the short term is you. And this is what's happening. You go to Europe, put a bunch of baby formula on some planes and fly it back into the US. You know, that you go to your European partners and allies and go, hey, we'll just have any baby formula. We're also seeing some tinkering with there's some um, issues around the size of baby formula tins you can buy and the brands you can buy. And there's been a bit of kind of short term tinkering. That will fix it. The Abbott plant will come back online. The short-term issues will go away. I I, I want to hit up, but before you before you move on to long-term, though, like if you have lived in a state and and you're you're part of the two-thirds of people that, that that are on the WIC program, I've got to imagine that the brand recognition here. You have seen one brand of formula your entire life. And now you wake up and some random British brand is showing up. So maybe it's a French brand and all of the, the writing on the bottle is in. Like, how do you react to How do you get people to be comfortable adopting that? I recognize they're in dire situations, but it's like, here, feed this to your baby. You have no idea what it is. Well, and we, you, people change formulas. There's different formulas. Your baby doesn't like this one. Hey, try this other one. They might like it. I mean, you don't know. You buy your burgers in New York from a particular place because they l taste better than the burgers at the other place. I might like the other place. Babies are exactly the same, so that's the short-term problem. I mean, a screaming baby. Ultimately, at some point, you're just going to feed the baby, but mothers have to go through that additional stress. So I think none of this situation is good in the short term. First thing is. Hopefully that Abbott plant is coming online pretty quickly. Abbott, as I say, looks like a well-run company, read their press release. Obviously, they're going to be incentivized to get back on stream. So hopefully this short-term problem goes away. But, I mean, as I say, some of the and, – and this was interesting as I read it. There seems to be bipartisan support for some of the issues, obviously in the polarized um, political environment we have in the US at the moment, finding common ground is hard. But I think legislators on both sides of the aisle can say, if there's a problem with baby formula, I think we can get behind a fix. 
So I think what I saw, and and good that I saw it, was a trend towards let's go back and look at specifically that legislation update for 1989 and go, is sole supply where we should be heading? And what are we doing in the supply chain? Tariffs were also being discussed. You know, as I don't think baby formula finds its way to the top of a, a trade deal discussion, but I think it'll be higher up the list now as the US looks to do trade deals with Canada, with the US, uh, with the UK, sorry, with Europe. You know, with its established trading partners, will baby formula get added to those deals or will supplements happen to those deals? Part of what I find remarkable about this is just abstract away from the fact that we're talking about baby formula for a moment. The challenges we're talking about, you've got government legislation that was wonderfully well-intentioned and it seems like has been wildly effective in driving down the cost of formula, but it's come at the cost of fragility in the system. Mm -hmm. So while we've optimized for exactly the thing we set out to, there are unintended consequences that we simply didn't wrap our heads around. And while we had people uh, kind of raising alarm bells, nothing happened until an actual crisis. And I mean, we could have the same conversation about COVID um, and vaccine production. Bill Gates was was raising the alarm bells in 2004 about the ability to produce vaccines at scale in the PPE, event of the pandemic. You know, PPE, PPE same, same, same exact thing. But it's if we go a little bit broader, we have the same conversation, say, with semiconductor uh, chip manufacturing and the challenges that car manufacturers are having. I mean, we can go right down the line. We have a whole series of systems that have been optimized for, say, cost savings by just-in-time inventory, cost savings by going to the low-cost provider. In the case of the space shuttle program, cost savings in theory by sole sourcing and doing cost-plus-margin spaceships. And yet, in isolated pockets, SpaceX being a good example, you've got somebody who's actually managed to get into the market, shake it up and say, look, I know what you're optimizing for, but if you look at a bigger picture, there are other things you want to be able to solve for beyond just cost, beyond just speed, that are important at the system level. They make the overall system resilient and actually add more value than just cost reduction. I, from from what you're saying, I'm wildly hopeful that we start taking that look at, at baby formula, but then even more broadly, like there's a lot of pockets where perhaps we've over-optimized for one outcome, not realized the costs and the consequences of what that meant, and this will give us an opportunity to say, hey, look, maybe there's a way of optimizing at the system level rather than just one of the attributes like cost. Yeah, I think fragility in supply chains was probably something we didn't think about three years ago. It's top of mind in lots of conversations right now, whether that's batteries for EV vehicles dependent on rare earth minerals, whether it's semiconductors largely for the same reason, whether it's PPE that we need to keep people in hospitals and, and healthcare situations, whether it's vaccines, whether it's baby formula. I think all of these supply chain and where stuff comes from and how it gets to our shores is top of mind for everybody right now. I think what we've got to also think about is the free market model works. When there is competition in a market, a market will figure it out. 
putting sole supply into legislation perverts a market and creates disruption. May not create disruption that year, may not create it in the first 10 years, may not create it in the first 20 years, but it will create tension in that market at some point and lead to increased fragility like we've just seen. Yeah, and it's not just, it's not a free market or heavy, heavily legislated or regulated. There's this middle point where I think baby formula is a really good example. We want the FDA to have standards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we, we don't just want people launching crap into the market and babies routinely getting sick. But there's a balance there of if you too tightly legislate that, if you too tightly regulate that, and there is simply no supply in the market, well, you, you could actually end up with an, an outcome that's worse at the system level than if you then if you find a, a, a shorter ground on the standards that tolerates some amount of shenanigans in the market. And I realize that, that that's a difficult statement to make because explicitly what I'm saying is the system will be better if the a, FDA occasionally allows things through that end up making babies sick. But the flip side is if they don't, if they set the standards so high that nobody can get into the market, we know how that story ends, which is a lot of babies are going to go hungry because you've built in fragility into the system. I don't know whether I'd subscribe to we need to lower standards. I mean, I don't know the baby formula standards for the products that are available in Europe and the UK, but I can't argue that they'd be much worse than what's available in the UK. But that, that's Europe. where I'm coming from I on mean, this one. Standards is, not- is a relative term, and I don't know that what the FDA does to check. But I'm sure, I mean, I've got four children that were all raised on baby formula bought in the UK market. You know, they, they drive me wild at times, my kids, but they're all pretty healthy. You know, so I don't know about the standards empirically, but... The tariff, but that's what I'm saying. That's, the tariff is maybe more the issue for me. Why is there a again, 16 put, 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 and a 16.5% tariff on baby formula coming from the UK and the it's US? Ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's, that, that to me says somebody at Abbott and the other two companies have paid somebody to ensure, Yeah, probably. To protect but that's their the interesting market. one. Like it's, when, when I talk about lowering standards, it's not let's just make up new standards. It's if you have a peer in Canada, in the UK, take your pick of the market who is clearly doing a good job based on a more infant mortality of, of regulating the formula in their market, I would hope that those standards, not based on, oh, matching up one for one for one of how you regulate, based on the outcomes in those countries, how healthy the babies are, you have empirical evidence that state whatever they're doing, however they're getting there, clearly works. And that should be satisfactory for our system. Well, the biggest thing for me, we've seen direct-to-consumer, you know, Dollar Shave Club, all of the people who want to sell you a mattress, Chewy, sending you pet food on a regular basis. People know much. People know for maybe 12 months how much baby formula they're going to need. I am shocked there's not a subscription service that's direct-to-consumer. Why is that? We've seen direct-to-consumer for everything. If you can get a mattress direct-to-consumer, why are you not getting baby formula as a service? There's something to me that says VCs and obviously founders are not going after that market 
when there's a huge TAM and an absolute need, why is that not happening? And that to so, me so says because the market's structurally set up for them not to compete. So we've got you've got an attractive, bring me home on this one. We've got an attractive consumption model that we have from the direct-to-consumer world. If I give you the magic wand, we're, we're not going to do probabilities here, but if I give you the magic wand to go from where we are today to where this market needs to be in order to function healthily, what are you, what are you going to do with that wand? Well, I think first off we need to go and update the WIC regulations first off to stop a monopoly. Maybe it's two or three, maybe – it's two or three plus a European or, or UK provider or some other trading partner, break apart that monopoly. Single source contracts are broken, are wrong, do not sort of persist with that model. That's the first piece. I think I'd be getting trading deals put in place to look at tariffs and you know open the US market up to international competition. I think I'd be... If I was the FDA looking to normalize my regulations to allow other competitors into this market with their products and approve that you can get baby formula from Europe, Japan, South Korea, you know, the UK, Canada, you know, wherever we want to pick Australia, you know, tra trading partners we like, we get on well with. There's an established kind of quid pro quo in some of those trading relationships and, and look to add three or four options just to make the US market more competitive. Then I'd be looking to maybe put some tax breaks in or incentives in place to bring a fourth scrappy upstart into this market. I think all of those can be done by, with bipartisan support. All of those aren't anti-Abbott and the other sort of suppliers in this market. They're just healthy for markets. Markets shouldn't be this concentrated. Yeah, I, lo I love that vision. And if, if bipartisan can't get behind infant formula and, and bringing that supply back on, yeah. I think I think we probably have even bigger problems. Anybody who's had a screaming baby wants that baby to be quiet. And baby formula is a huge part of that equation. There you go. Awesome wrap up. Listeners, thank you. You've been listening. Fat-tailed thoughts. We will be back next week with yet another topic. Thanks for listening.